0: If you um, have your notes, feel free to grab them. We're going to... It looks like there's a lot of notes, but don't panic. I covered half of them last week. I just gave you the whole package in one neat little thing there. Uh, So last week, we started going through Psalm 133. And we're going to finish it up today. What I want to do is sort of quickly review what we covered in case uh, you weren't here or weren't listening or just didn't like it and still need to be convinced. Uh, So we'll do that real fast, and then we'll jump in. And really, this morning, uh, I'm hoping, I'm praying uh, that I can impart to you some vision for God's purpose, I believe, for Brevard County, uh, in which you have a part if you live here. Amen? Amen. So, uh, let's see. So, we started, let's just read Psalm 133 real quick. It's only three verses. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, uh, we're going to review what we did last week uh, very quickly. Uh, He said that brethren dwelling together, we talked about dwelling is somewhat more significant than occasionally gathering together in unity. It implies some consistency and some longevity. So, brethren dwelling together in unity is good and it's pleasurable, and he says it's like these two pictures, and then the first picture was the anointing oil on Aaron, the high priest's head flowing down onto his robes, and you'll recall uh, the anointing oil. Uh, Aaron, the high priest, represents Jesus, our high priest. Jesus is the anointed one. All the anointing we're ever going to have has already been placed on the head, Jesus Christ. We don't need more anointing. We need more oil flowing down to the garments, and to have that, we need more connection with the head and with the body, right? This is what we talked about last week. And so, uh, God's not going to take away your mantle, your garment, your calling. You just won't have any oil on it if you don't stay connected to the head and the body. You'll just be doing your calling oilless, which I don't recommend. So that we talked a lot about last week. The second thing we talked about was uh, Mount Hermon and the dew on Mount Hermon becoming uh, somehow uh, watering the mountains of Zion. And we said that Mount Hermon is in the extreme, it's on the very north edge of Israel. Uh, So if we were Jerusalem, Mount Hermon would be somewhere a little north of Daytona Beach. Uh, so it's a ways away. There are a couple valleys in between. There's no way the dew on Mount Hermon literally descends onto the mountains of Zion. What does happen, there's a big river called the Jordan River, perhaps you've read about it, and uh, the dew on Mount Hermon collects and becomes streams and gathers and becomes uh, the River Jordan, which in flood season is, is they couldn't even cross it, and it, it goes all the way down through Judea, uh, right by the area of Zion, and empties into the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. And so we said that what he's really talking about there, and we're going to talk about that more today, is uh, the gathering of those that do into streams, into rivers, into the Jordan that that waters that valley of Zion. Now, uh, we also talked about Zion being a city and dwelling place of God past and future. It's where the temple of God was. It's where the temple of God will be. It absolutely is where Jesus will rule the earth in the future when he comes. And so it is physically the dwelling place of God, both past and future. It is also uh, the church. It's representative of the church, which is literally, physically the dwelling place of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And so... We said it's both and. We're going to get into that a lot in just a minute. And then there was, this was my favorite part, uh, that he ends it, he says, there God commands the blessing, life forevermore. We learned that in the Hebrew, this life forevermore means life going forward into eternity forever. It means life going backward into antiquity forever. So it's as if there's a river of life. Perhaps you'll Recognize that reference in other places in the Bible uh, that God has connected us to. And what this passage is saying is that there at Zion, I believe in Genesis 15, when God called Abraham, brought him to the land of Canaan, brought him literally to the mountains of Zion, and said, Here, let's make a covenant. And he commanded that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The blessing, underline thee. And so, we learned that there, God commanded the blessing, life evermore. So, literally, God, through choosing Abraham, connected mankind for the first time in history to this eternal river of life, and it would take the culmination of the new covenant through his son, Jesus, dying on the cross, but that is where God commanded the blessing that we are now experiencing Life forevermore, because through Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins, we have been connected to this eternal river of life. You guys remember all that? So that's good stuff. Uh, I'm excited about that, and that uh, was different. Uh, I've taught in the past, you know, God commands a blessing on unity. It's not what it's saying. It's saying God commanded a blessing before we even knew what he was doing. That's right. And because he commanded a blessing, now we can have unity. Once again, God has done all the heavy lifting. God has done everything. We just participate in what He has already done. Amen? Nevertheless, this unity thing is really important, and we do need to cooperate with God on it. We don't need to bring unity. He's given us everything we need to walk in unity, but we do need to cooperate. And sometimes we can be uncooperative kids. Yeah? Okay, not just me. Good. And, of course, we talked about how we dwell in unity through understanding these two visuals. And I loved, I'm just going to do this again because I loved how we ended it. We ended it with going back to it being pleasurable. We talked about unity in Psalm 45 where it says that God is anointed with the oil of gladness more than his companions. And then we see in verse 8, this is at the end of page 1, that this oil flows down onto his garments. Remember, that represents us, the church, his body, and our giftings and callings. And the garments begin to smell with the scent of this oil, and God smells it, and it says, uh, they have made him glad. And then if we go down to verse 11, it says, he desires her beauty, which is what we were talking about this morning, or what we were singing about in Song of Solomon. And so we see the pleasure of this unity that the oil flows down and we, we smell like God and God smells it and he likes it and he desires our beauty. Our beauty comes from him making us beautiful like him. It's good stuff, right? Okay, so now you can turn your notes over. We only have the second page. See how fast we're going? <laughs> I may slow down a little here. The second Picture we see is this living water, the dew of Mount, the dew of Mount Hermon, collecting together, becoming the Jordan River, watering the valley of Judea, right or or of Zion. And so, uh, I want to develop just from Scripture, so you know I'm not making it up, that Jerusalem and the Temple, the dwelling place of God, are His chosen city past and future, and are His church, past and future, or now and future? And it's almost indistinguishable in Scripture, and this is what I want you to see, because I I think we have to learn to see from God's perspective, and I don't think God sees a lot of the lines and divisions that we see. And so, uh, in Revelation 21, we see this. uh, John is getting a, a tour from an angelic tour guide uh, through uh, the throne room and history and future history and all kinds of cool stuff. And he says, Then I, John, saw the holy city. This is Revelation chapter 21. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. There's been a Jerusalem. There is a Jerusalem now without a temple. There will be a Jerusalem with a temple that God dwells in. There will be a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, and it's great big. It, like, you know, would be up in the... There's all kinds of physics problems with that. but It'll be a new earth, and I think God's worked it out. Uh, So, anyway, if you're on the top floor, you know. Uh, Anyway, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We are the bride, yes? And so, somehow this city is like a bride. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God, or the dwelling place of God, is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be lit with them and be their God. So, once again, we see him making his dwelling place. It's literally in New Jerusalem, and it's literally with His people. He wants to dwell in the midst of his people. Then we jump down just a little bit farther to verse 9, and the angel says, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. What is he getting ready to show him? The church. Is that clear? Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Are we confused? God apparently isn't. The city and the church are one. What makes them the same, the only thing they have in common is they're the dwelling place of God. That's what makes them the same. So God says, I dwell on that city. I dwell on these people. I'm going to put it all together. It's all in me anyway. And the new Jerusalem, the old Jerusalem, it's all about him and him being the dwelling place and us dwelling together in him. And so we need to see uh, because we won't get some of the metaphor in the Bible if we don't catch this. Uh, we see this again in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, what in the, leading up to this, he's talking about, he says, you haven't come to Mount Moriah. He's talking about where they first, remember, when they came out of Egypt, and they went to Mount Sinai, and, I'm sorry, I meant Sinai, they went to Mount Sinai, and God came on the top of the mountain, and there was fire, and there was a lot of noise. And he said, and he set up a boundary, and he said, if you step on the mountain, you're going to die. And they said, cool, you talk to God, we're going to stand over here. Remember that? So the writer of Hebrews, uh, that was just before that, he's talking. he goes, you haven't come to that mountain. He goes, this is different. He says, you're not coming to the big scary mountain where if you step on it, you die. He says, you have come to Mount Zion. That's a mountain just a little north where the temple is, right? He says, and and I'm reading from Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, you've come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. He's just putting it all together, right? Because in God's mind, it's all kind of one thing. To an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Well, there we are, the church again who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And the next verse says to Jesus. So when we came to Jesus, we came to God. We came to the new Jerusalem. We came to his church. And it's all connected together. And God doesn't see the divisions we see. In Ephesians 2, I love this passage. I've been praying into this. I pray this every Sunday. Virtually every Sunday, I pray this verse uh, for Brevard County. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Are you a citizen? Yeah. Now, you're a citizen of the kingdom, but you're also a citizen of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. All right? Members of the household of God. Think about that. Let that one sink in. It's his house. You're a member of his household. You're in the family. You were adopted in. You were accepted in the beloved. So we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building. What? I thought we were talking about the church, the saints, the household. Now we're talking about a building? It doesn't seem like Paul's even noticed or God's even noticed. It's all the same to him. But the whole, in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The church, all of us, are being the saints, the members of the household of God, are being built together into a building, into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is biblical, yes? So, here's the thing. This is a simple point, but it's a very, very, very important one. We must see his church from his perspective. I'm telling you, church, we don't have the option of seeing it differently. God, I know you don't see divisions, but we do, and they're important to us, God. And I'm not not sitting down with that part of your church. In fact... I'm going to go online and tell everyone else not to sit down with that part of your church. Parents, how do you do when people start talking about what knuckleheads your kids are? You can call them knuckleheads. It's kind of annoying when someone else does, isn't it? Guys, it, this is such a simple point, And I don't know why it's so hard for us to get, but we've got to get this. We must see his church the way he sees his church. Right. We can't erect divisions that he has not erected. That's right. In his church, flaws and all, is anyone who is called upon the name of Jesus for salvation, who has genuinely believed the gospel, not a different gospel. There are people who call on Jesus that don't know him. I'm talking about, you know, your basic uh, uh, Apostles' Creed belief system. They believe that. They're brothers and sisters. Regardless of the other stuff they believe. Regardless of all the other error. Right? You with me? We have to not just see churches. We have to see his church. We have to see it as he sees it. We have to see uh, the church without divisions. I didn't say a church without error. Because sadly... The only thing Jesus has to work with is humans. Like you and me. It's a handicap. I think it was on purpose, because it wasn't fair. I think Satan said, This isn't fair. God, you always win. He said, tell you what, this'll be my team. It'll be my handicap. I won't do anything directly. I only work through them. And Satan went, Well, okay. I've seen them. We'll try this. That's our team, guys. But we have an amazing leader. All right, so I just want to beat that drum hard. I want to get that vision. We must see his church from his perspective, not disconnected. And, again, we can argue about stuff, but if they love Jesus, if they have believed in the Son and his death on the cross for their salvation, they are brothers and sisters. Amen? We need to quit calling them other stuff like false prophets and heathen. All right. That's probably enough. You got to get real quiet. All right. The second thing we see, and this is why it's important that we recognize uh, the unity that already exists in God, in His church, that we are one in Him, because this building, this temple, this dwelling place of God seems to always have a river. Remember I talked about uh, in Psalm 133, 3, how there's this river that gives life, this river of life that in, in uh, Zion he connected us to through the covenant he made with Abraham? What well, we see uh, in the Bible, uh, not in the first couple tabernacles, uh, or not literally in the temple in the past, but we see specifically in the temple to come uh, in Jerusalem. When Jesus comes, that there is a river of life. If maybe you've read Ezekiel forty-seven, we like that chapter because there's I like it because there's a river and there's a river. Jesus is now. This is speaking of when Jesus comes and re, reigns in the earth during the millennial period, and there's a river coming out of the temple and it's going east, which means it goes down into the Kidron Valley, and it guess what river it runs into? The Jordan. It says. And it's not just a river, it says everywhere this river goes, everything will live wherever this river goes. What kind of river is it? It's a river of life. Everything it touches lives. In fact, the salt sea, which is what the Jordan empties into, is sometimes called what? The Dead Sea, because it's so salty, nothing can live there. Guess what's going to happen when this river touches it? That's what it says in Ezekiel. It says, it'll be healed, and it's going to be full of fish, lots of fish. Uh, I talked about, Jared and I were talking one time about uh, maybe we should buy land there now, right on the Dead Sea. (laughs) And then later, we could open, you know, uh, a restaurant, (laughs) seafood. But I kept reading in Ezekiel 47, I saw how he divides out all the land of the Jews, and I'm not sure I'm allowed to own it. So, Uh, anyway, it was a good idea. Um, so everything where this river goes lives. It's a river of life. It, I think it's, I, again, I think it's that physical representation of that eternal river that God connected us to in Psalm 133. And of course, you know, John seven thirty eight, come to, whoever comes to me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We are temples of the living God with? Rivers of living water flowing out of us. Isn't that interesting? Is that going on? All right. So, what I want us to see, we've got the city, who's the church. We've got the river of living water. We've got rivers of living water flowing out of us. The temple's supposed to have rivers flowing out. We've got the the Jordan River flowing into it. So, we go back to the picture of the dew on Mount Hermon, collecting into little streams, and those streams run together and become bigger streams, and those streams become the River Jordan, which comes down and fills the plain of Judea. You guys see the picture? Where God's saying, this is what unity is like. Now, let's apply this. You're just a little do. You just do what you do with your do. I'm just a little do. But you're doing, my do is more do, right. and the more we do with our do, the more you, we might make a whole stream here. That's That's now there's some other streams around here, and if those streams come together, they might make a river. And we get enough going, that river might get to where it's ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. Oh, now I love that we get very excited about the river in Ezekiel 47, and you know. And they're going, yes, Lord, waist deep. Yes, Lord, so deep that our feet don't touch. And you ever been in a river that was flowing and your feet don't touch? How much control do you have? Just want you to keep that in mind. Because that's what we're praying for. God, we want your river. Wait a minute. Where are we going? It's his church. It's his river. Go with it. Amen? Amen? Okay, so I want us to get this vision because I actually, I I know this is God's vision for the church, His church in the earth, but there's actually something special about this, I believe, for Brevard County. Let me tell you a story. Back in the 90s, we used to go on these uh, retreats. We went over to Orlando, San Pedro, uh, some retreat center over there. And we would have anywhere, we would have 40 or 50 pastors from the region. And we would take two or three days. We would go over there and we did nothing but eat together and talk together and, and pray and worship. And there was no agenda. We just prayed and worshiped and talked. Uh, a few of you in the room have been to those. Remember them? Remember Jim? Gary's been? Yeah. Uh, they were great. So uh, it was an early expression, I think, of the unity that God wanted to do and And I you know, I tell uh other pastors sometimes in other cities there're probably there are probably twenty or thirty pastors around me not I'm not talking about my denomination, I'm just talking about pastors in this city. I could call them up and go, "I need help," and they'd go, "What do you need?" because they're friends because right. of stuff like that. So I was going to this one year. And back then, um, you know, I'm, I was the youth pastor. A couple of youth pastors went me, a couple of the old ones, me and Matt. And uh, God is poking me to read Nehemiah three, and I don't want to read Nehemiah three. I don't know why. I just, it, it, you know, I'm just putting it off. I'm pro, I'm do, I'm playing like I'm in college and putting it off to the last minute. And so, uh, he keeps poking me. Read Nehemiah three. Read Nehemiah three. And I'm like, what? And so finally, uh, and it's been two or three days, and I just had stuff to do, and I'm getting ready for this retreat. And uh, I get there, and I'm literally on the campus over there at uh, San Pedro, and I still haven't finished my assignment. I know I'm supposed to read Nehemiah 3, and I know there's something in Nehemiah 3 for me. I don't know what it is. I just know God wants me to read it. So I go, okay. So I get checked in my room. I grab my Bible. I go out and sit down under a tree and read Nehemiah 3 which you've ever read, is super boring. Um, I'm going to sum it up. Here's about 20 or 30 families. This family worked on this portion of the wall. This family worked on this portion of the wall. This family worked on this portion of the wall. This family worked on this portion of the wall. wall. End of chapter. (laughs) That's it. That's the whole thing. So I'm going, all right, God, why am I reading this chapter? And God begins to speak to me, which would be Uh, Because I was supposed to give a word to all the pastors there, which was a little interesting because I was, you know, the youth pastor. Uh, But uh, the word was this. The word was Brevard County is called to model unusual unity. And I still believe that. I'm living in that word now 20-some years later. I still believe that that's true, that Brevard County is called to model unusual unity. Which was, there was even a little hint of that going on right then. And even the renewal we had in 95 was that was in churches all over the city. There were, there were pastors from all over coming together to worship together to do this kind of thing. And so, uh, what the picture was very simple: it's fine to have your family identity, be Church on the Rock, be Calvary, be Freedom, be Life Point but we're all working on the same wall, right? That was the picture. That was it. And uh, we spent some time, I gave the word, and we spent some time talking about city church and how God sees a church in a city, not that church and that church and that church. And, uh, and, And I just believe this is God's vision in general, but it is specifically God's vision for Brevard County. And so I want you guys to know that, Because uh, I'm leaning into that. And so what's going on, if you keep reading, in Nehemiah 4, uh, they start wearing swords. You remember why? Because uh, Sambalat and the Amorites around them wanted to attack uh, because they didn't want that wall built. Here's the interesting thing. The wall uh, wasn't to protect them. They weren't even, if you read through Nehemiah, they weren't even living in Jerusalem. They were living outside the city because the city was full of rubble. They had rebuilt the temple, but nobody was living in there. Uh, So the, the, the wall was to protect what? The place of prayer and worship. Hear me. They were building a wall together to protect the place of prayer and worship. Do you remember what I told you last week? about how Jesus is the meeting place, we must worship and pray together because that's how we meet together in Him. He is the place of meeting and worship and prayer is how we get there. They were building a wall together and they were willing to war together over it. They were putting their swords on and if you get attacked, I'm going to run to where you are and help you because we are protecting the place of worship and prayer. So if we need to worship and pray together, how much more? Churches need to worship and pray together. And so what I want you to see is uh, that's what God's doing. That's what God's doing here. what God wants to do in the earth. There's power, there's strength when the streams are joined. We got a pretty good stream here. I like our stream. It ain't a river. We need more streams, don't we? We don't do everything well. There are churches in our city that do things better than us. And there's probably some things we do better than them. I hope at least one, maybe. (laughs) Right? Those streams come together, they become a river. And we need to value this. We need to see things as God sees them. We need to value what God values. So, uh, how many of you remember the first Ghostbusters? Back when Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray were young. All right? You remember the one thing you did not do? Don't cross the streams. could be extremely dangerous. But what happened in the Ghostbusters eschatology when they got to the end and the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man showed up? They didn't have enough power to deal with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Remember? The eagle says, maybe we need to cross the streams telling you guys, metaphors everywhere. (laughs) Church needs to cross the streams. Church needs to cross the streams. We need the streams. We need to value the different streams. Even if we don't, now it's okay if you come here and go, I like you guys but eh, I don't like the way you do church. I'm going to go somewhere else. I like the way they do church better. That's fine. You like the way that stream tastes? Go play in that stream. You don't have to like all the streams, but we need to value all the streams because the streams need to come together. And we need to quit uh, dividing things that God's trying to flow together. So have you noticed in the earth what's going on with the global prayer and worship movement? Has anyone noticed? Uh, Rachel and I were talking about this. Uh, when Mike Bickle started um, International House of Prayer in Kansas City, would have been in the 80s, There were, we think, late 90s. 90s. All right. Uh, Yeah. When he started, there were maybe 250-ish houses of prayer in the earth, in the the whole earth. Now, there are somewhere north of 20,000. Did we do that or did God do that? What do you think God's doing? What I love about these houses of prayer is that people from many different streams will come together and pray for revival right. in their region. The worship movement. Have you noticed, uh, used to be Baptists and Methodists and Pentecostals and Charismatics all had their own songs. Have you noticed we're all singing the same songs? There are concerts, there are worship concerts. People go, nobody speaks. It's not because of a speaker, it's because there's good worship. And people from all different churches come and worship together. Oh, I love this band. Right, it's kind of like the seventies, but redeemed. still really good guitar. You see what God's doing in the earth? We've got to pay attention. He's joining the streams. He's trying to get us to the place where we can have a river, and so, in order to do that, we need to value this uh I don't know if you guys you guys may be aware of this uh I meet every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. at um, uh, Center, I'm sorry, yeah, Life, Point. Life Point. You had it backwards. At Life Point, Troy Robinson's church, uh, I, every Wednesday morning, 8 a.m., I meet there and pray with half a dozen other pastors. Every Thursday afternoon at lunch, Gary and Aaron and Jerry and I, sometimes Laura, uh go to Freedom Christian Center and meet and pray with anywhere from 20 to 30 other pastors. I do this every week. I very rarely miss. I make it a priority. I don't schedule stuff over it unless I absolutely have to. Why? Because it's God's priority. That's right. Because I recognize that I need those relationships because God uh, wants to demonstrate unusual unity in Brevard County, and I need to participate in that. And this is what he's doing in the earth, and I don't want to participate in it. Uh, Adam is here this morning uh, because he just wanted to come visit us. Uh, he could be checking us out; we never know. He's probably he might be writing things down. But uh, I know Adam because for two years he he pastors a different church here in the city. He's he's very evangelistic. Uh, I and I know that about him, and I know him, and I like him. Because I've been praying with him for two years or so at this Thursday <laughs> prayer meeting. Now, I have no idea if we have exactly the same theology. We might have some good arguments. I don't know. I know he loves Jesus. I know he really loves Jesus. And I like the way he prays when we pray together. Getting it? We've got to have God's heart. We've got to have God's vision. So here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see. I am not saying that there are not churches in error, uh, churches that annoy me. There are, there are people that annoy me. There are churches that annoy me. It's just the way it is. I don't know how Jesus doesn't get annoyed, but uh, he might be, he might, uh, honestly, he's probably equally annoyed with all of us. Uh, and so he just decides to love us and overlook all the things that we do wrong uh, or cover them with his grace as we ask for forgiveness. But... The point is this, we can get focused on error, we can get focused on the difference, or we can focus on the family aspect. And here's the thing, I don't think we have a choice. I think that God wants us to do it that way. And so, it's okay for there to be, for us to say, well, I think that's error. There should be Scripture. You should say, here's the Scriptures. Here's why I think they're handling the Scriptures wrong. But it costs me nothing, hear me, it costs me nothing to do that with honor. It costs me nothing extra to say, yeah, I disagree. Here's the scripture why I disagree, I think they're an error on this, but I honor them. They love Jesus. They're doing this well, and they're doing this well, and uh, that's okay. And. We honestly, we have people devoting energy to uh, critiquing churches they don't even go to. They just they just saw them online and didn't like something they saw. Why? I don't have time for that. I got enough to do just dealing with all you guys. <laughs> what? I don't need someone else's church. This is enough. Right? Let's just pick up the book and try and do it right. That's good. So the vision I want you to get is that we move towards what God's doing with honor, that we're committed. I got I got family members who don't believe like me. I mean, literal family members. And, and uh, we could argue about stuff if we wanted to. In fact, we occasionally do. But you know what? We never forget that we're family. We still go to each other's house. We still like each other. I'm absolutely certain some of them are wrong. They're absolutely certain I'm wrong. Not a lot I can do about that, is there? But I still love them. We still enjoy hanging out. We can honor one another. We can do that. And so we're going to choose honor because we see how important to Jesus that it is that these streams run together. You know what's really interesting? We start getting into doctrine, we'll have a good argument, but if you get a bunch of churches together and go, hey, let's just worship God, there's not a lot to argue about. You think he's awesome? I think he's awesome too. Holy, 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 I dig it, let's do it. Let's just pray, what do you wanna pray for? Let's pray for God to save our city. I want that too. Not a lot to argue about. We can get together on this worship and prayer thing, guys. The church, all the streams, I think God's going to use it to bring us together, worship and pray together. Now, let's finish this up. Again, we started with him saying, it is good and pleasurable for brethren to dwell together in unity. and We ended last time with why it's good and pleasurable. Let's do it again this time, and I want you to see language. And the language in this psalm is interesting. It should leap out at us now, uh, but we'll see. In psalm, 140, or psalm 46, verses 4 and 5. Listen to this language. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Are you hearing it? Are you getting it now? The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Ah, I want to live in that city. We can't live in that city. We do live in that city. There is a river whose streams. There's this river, and it makes the city of God, the place where God dwells, the mountains of Zion, it makes them glad, makes them happy, and God's in their midst, and they won't be moved. So what is it about this river? Well, it's not the river so much, it's the streams. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. All the streams make him happy. Different streams. All right, what's God's favorite church? I don't know. I mean, if you have a favorite kid, don't tell him. See where I'm getting at. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. Let's not be excluding any genuine streams. If they are a genuine stream, we need them. I love Psalm 36, verse 8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. There is a house a temple, a dwelling place, and it contains the fullness of God. There is a river, and it contains the pleasures of God. We can drink from the river. We can be satisfied with the house. This is good stuff, guys. Who wants the river? All right? Now, the problem is, I think we've all wanted our own river. Instead of saying, well, let's get our stream over next to this stream and that stream and get a river we got to want the river so to sum up he said unity is about two things or it's he he says these two pictures paint a picture of what unity is like He says it's like the anointed one and the flow of his oil jesus the anointed one and his oil flowing down onto the church it says it's like the dwelling place of god the city of god And the flow of his river of life flowing into that city, flowing out of that city and causing everything to live. and That's what we want. That's what we're praying for. And so not surprisingly, frequently, when we gather to pray on Thursdays, we end up praying for, in fact, we were just doing this a couple weeks ago. We end up praying for the river in Brevard County. We do it a lot. There's a lot of verses. And so, and they're pastors. They all know the Bible. So they get there. We end up praying for it, the river. So we need to be praying for that. We need to be praying for the river of God in Brevard County. You know what? Those of you who were here in the 90s, you remember what I loved. uh, If there's a revival in the city and people come in the city and they go, What church do I go to? to, Where's this revival at? Uh, In the 90s, uh, we were meeting at the tabernacle just because it was the the most seats. Uh, But. Any Sunday morning, if someone came into town and said, uh, what church do I go to? I said, well, here's 15 or 20 where this is happening. Pick one. Because it's happening all over. It's happening in our city, not in a church, in our city. Because uh, our church has one, our city has one church. It's the Church of Jesus Christ. You're either in Jesus or you're not the only distinction, it's the only line He draws all through the Bible, sheep, goats, my kid, not my kid, in me, not in me. thats He just has that one big line. Amen?